Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in Fermina Kim. And for the rest of the hour, I'm joined by a woman whose election to the Virginia General Assembly, that's what they call their state legislature, stunned the world of politics in Virginia and beyond. Not only did she become the first openly trans person elected to a state legislature, she defeated a Republican who bragged about being the state's chief homophobe who had held the seat for more than a quarter century. Danica Rome has since been re-elected to that seat twice, and she's written all about her unusual path to public office in her new memoir. It's titled Burn the Page, A True Story of Torching Doubts, Blazing Trails, and Igniting Change. Danica Rome, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much, Scott. It's good to see you. Well, you write in the intro to your book uh, that you've written this for the person you were in 2016. Now, that was only six years ago. So who was that person? Describe her. So in 2016, I was underemployed is maybe the best way to say it. I was working for $15 an hour for 30 hours a week with no benefits as the news editor of a community newspaper over in Montgomery County in Maryland, right over the river from where I live in Virginia. And on the weekend to make ends meet, I was a food delivery driver for $5 an hour plus tip from a Afghan kebab house over in Arlington. And I was driving a 92 Dodge Shadow. <laughs> it had more uh, rust than paint. It was worth, you know, it was $324. I bought it for $700 in 2012. And at the same time as I was doing all of that, I was uninsured. And I had lived uninsured from you know, basically August of 2015 until three weeks after I was sworn in in 2018 into the General Assembly. And one of the things I like to say is trans women shouldn't have to win election in order to get health insurance. (laughs) And at the same time, it was so hard for me to find jobs because I had more than a decade of news reporting experience, award-winning reporter, all you know, all the other accolades. I had worked two full-time jobs for four out of five years at one point. So along with reporting for my hometown newspapers, Gainesville Times, Prince William Times for nine years, for more than um, three and a half years at one point, I was also reporting for the hotline in D.C. covering state and federal politics. And I had all this experience and no one would hire me after my transition mm. just about. And so... It was very, very hard. But here we are, right? And 12,077 people hired me on November 7, 2017. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. And they rehired you twice. Um, I want to talk about those elections. But before that, um, how do you go from, you know, doing what you just described, working in a kebab shop to make ends meet, to the Virginia General Assembly? Like, was there a moment where you thought, I'm going to run for office? Well, so as I wrote about in the book, In Burn the Page, you'll find a chapter, and I've, I've alluded to it a few times in the story, where it was August 4th, 2016, and I look at my laptop, I open my email, and there's an email from the 2015 Democratic nominee for the same seat who writes to me, hey, I'm not going to be able to run next year because I'm moving out of the area. Have you considered running to be a really good candidate? I laughed once, so I went, <laughs> <laughs> and I closed the laptop and didn't even respond to it. Didn't even respond to the email. I was just like, come on, you got to be kidding. 
The next day, I get a phone call from Delegate Rip Sullivan, who's the recruiting chair of the House Democratic Caucus. And he goes, have you considered running? You'd be a really good candidate. And so I was like, all right, let's talk. Mm. And I knew immediately what I wanted to run on, which was fixing Route 28, because my mom had been commuting up and down 28 since a little bit before I was born, actually, to get to her job near Dulles International mm. Airport. And that's the airport I flew out of, by the way. And I missed my morning flight because of 28, which is now under construction, just for the record. <laughs> so we are actively actually fixing it. It's just good. Maybe the infrastructure bill will help <laughs> with that. But, you know, it's interesting because, yeah. you know, you might think, well, you're going to run on social issues or LGBT rights. But, no, you, you chose infrastructure, which is perfect in a way. Right. Well, at the same time, I always make very clear to people, as I noted in Burn the Page as well, equality has always been part of my platform. I was never quiet about, you know, making, you know, Virginia a more inclusive commonwealth. So no matter what you look like, where you come from, how you worship, if you do, or who you love, that you're welcome, celebrated, respected, and protected because of who you are, not despite it, and not for what discriminatory politicians tell you you're supposed to be. You can tell us how quickly and well rehearsed of an answer that is, that that is something I've been saying on the stump for five years. That said, and when you're running for a state office, you know, in this case, not statewide, but, you know, in your district office, you have to know your community. you got to focus on those issues that are very paramount to your community. In my case, it's fixing Route 28 in the east and in the west. It was fighting above ground transmission lines between uh, Gainesville and Haymarket so it wouldn't hurt the environment and people's property values and such. And, you know, at the same time, I was very specific because I was a news reporter. Facts matter. And so rather than these vague platitudes of nothingness that you see so much in the modern politic where you'll hear um, some candidates, they'll go parental rights. And you go, well, what does that mean? If I am a parent of a trans child and you're now trying to criminalize my ability to get my child health care, are you infringing upon my rights? Well, the unit rights aren't the parental rights we had in mind. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, get out of here. You're just making up vague platitudes that mean nothing because you don't want to be held accountable for your actual policy positions. Whereas reporter turned legislator means said, here's the roadmap of my actual positions that I stand on so you can you can hold me accountable for it, which is why I campaigned on expanding Medicaid because my predecessor voted against it. And I said – We'll be able to ensure 3,700 people in the district. If we do that, 400,000 people across the Commonwealth. We have now enrolled more than 654,000 people across Virginia in Medicaid expansion because of my vote on April 30th, 2018. And that includes more than 30,000 people in Greater Prince William, more than 5,500 of my constituents. I kept my promise. I kept my word. Talking with Danica Rome, she's a member of the Virginia General Assembly and author of a new memoir, Burn the Page. What would you like to ask her about her decision to enter politics or about her life story? And uh, what has her rise in politics meant to you? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us if you like. It's forum at kqed.org. Um, you mention in the book that you um, had been on uh, hormone replacement therapy, I think, for two and a half years, roughly. Correct me if the timeline is wrong, but when you became a candidate, is that is that accurate? Sure. So I started um, HRT on December 3rd, 2013, and I launched my campaign on January 3rd, 2017. So you do a quick math on that, and it's about uh, two years and one month, right? And, and so then during that time, just being on HRT, 
and having my body, you know, adjust and everything else that goes with it. I also went through, um, you know, basically voice therapy as well um, with the doctor, um, Adrian Hancock over in D.C. I had, um, you know, along my endocrinologist, I went to my psychologist, who I still see, by the way, I'm a big advocate for mental health. And even though at this point, 10 years since my first uh, therapy appointment in 2012, I just go in for what I like to, re- you know, refer to as just routine maintenance, just like just checking in at this point. You know what I mean? And I really try to destigmatize that because you know what the most common thing I would get told on the campaign trail when I would be insulted from people? It's not just the misgendering. It's not all the other crap. It's when people would say you're mentally ill or mm. it's mentally ill. They would just try to dehumanize me with it, right? Mm. And it's just like, well, um, first off, you shouldn't stigmatize mental illness because what you're trying to do at that point is you're trying to tell people that they shouldn't get help when they actually need it. You don't hear someone who breaks their foot and you go like, oh, come on, you know, only a wuss gets foot surgery at this point. It's just like, no, if you have an issue that you need to work out, it's okay. And I talk about going through therapy in the book. I talk about all of that and I try to put that out there because I think it's relatable for people. I think that's what people really need to hear. Well, and in fact, you know, so much of politics, people are turned off by the the phoniness and it it would seem to me that whatever other challenges you would have as a trans candidate authenticity would not be one of them you know what's really funny was um uh, when delegate sullivan sat me down in his office and he he uh, you know i talked to him for like an hour uh, he goes, well, to be honest with you, I'm more concerned about you being uh, you fronting a heavy metal band than I am about you being transgender, which I very much mentioned in in the book and burn the page. Cab ride home is the yeah. name of the band. And actually, it's right now I'm wearing my Portuguese melodic gothic doom metal band Moonspells hoodie of their 1755 album, which is all entirely in Portuguese. So, you know, like still wear them all black in my, uh, you know, like gray tights today and stuff. I still look the part just like I did <laughs> six years well, ago. Well, this is Virginia, <laughs> right? I mean, you're not running in San Francisco. No, I mean, I'm not. And that's the other thing. My district is where the first battle of the Civil War was. And guess what? That was over the railroad. We've been fighting about transportation policy in Virginia for 160 some odd years. That is very consistent. One of the things you <laughs> did, uh, as, as a lot of candidates do, uh, and it's smart, is to do your own oppo research. Yeah. You know, dig up what you think your opponents might dig up on you. What did, what did you find that either surprised you well, or terrified you? Well, I found a lot of material for this book, that's for sure. <laughs> so, like, every chapter of Burn the Page starts with an oppo hit on me or a direct mail piece that was attacking me or, like, a bad headline or, you know, like an editorial that was you know going after me or whatever. And what I wanted to do by mentioning like by directly putting in my own oppo research into this book on the one hand i think i wrote in the book something along the lines of like well for all the other oppo researchers out there i just saved you i just gave this is the easiest ten thousand dollars your candidates ever going to have to pay you because i put it all right there for you you have all the fun you want right there and for me it's also kind of a way of saying like look i'm 37 at this point I'm in control of my narrative. And the entire point of having a story called Burn the Page is to set fire to the stories you don't want to be in anymore. And it's just about owning your narrative, owning your story. And in my case, if a transgender metalhead reporter stepmom, Eugenie vegetarian, who is unemployed, uninsured, living at home with her ma and driving a $324, 92 Dodge Shadow can take on a 26-year, 13-term incumbent, and not only the self-described chief homophobe of Virginia, but someone who had the most anti-LGBTQ record, not just in Virginia, to the South and possibly the whole country. And his top issue all above all time, by the way, was always anti-abortion stuff, which is kind of relevant right now. And you put all that, and I was the winning candidate from that. Well, it means that 
take all the things about identity, and you know what it all boils down to? Having genuine, authentic conversations with people at the door, one after the next, after the next, after the next. Do you think that the uh, the incumbent, uh, as it uh, Bob Marshall, do you think he just sort of, you know, thought, I, I can't believe my good luck. I'm running against a transgender candidate in well, this district. Yeah, as I wrote in the book, I very, very much wrote, they did not take me seriously the summer of 2017 after I won a four-way primary. And they, like the then Republican Party chairman at the time, John Whitbeck, he went on um, the uh, NPR affiliate for uh, DC, uh, WAMU, on the Kojanandi show, and he just laughed when Tom Sherwood brought up my name. And... You know, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, Bob will be fine. He's always, you know, always finds a way to win. And you know, I guess I have to give the candidate some credit for campaigning on Fixing Route 28 because whatever, you know, just like you're not going to beat Bob on any of the other issues. And so I was just like, all right, you're believing your own headlines. And he, my predecessor, frankly, didn't even campaign that summer. And so we outraised him 20 to 1 in one month. And then the following a reporting period for July, August, I was the top in the state at that point. And that's when they started going, uh-oh. And it was too late at that point. We, are, we were ready to go, and we were ready to win. And by the way, since I've won, we've now passed 32 of my bills into law. I'm a good legislator. We've <laughs> passed 10 of them just to feed hungry kids. Like, it turns out I'm actually good at my job, and all of them have had bipartisan support. It's always, of course, uh, satisfying to win an election. I can't imagine what it must have felt like to beat not just this longtime anti-LGBTQ uh, legislator, but someone who self-described chief homophobe for the state of Virginia. I mean, what, what, what was that like for you? And how did it change the way you thought about yourself? Well, it meant that a trans woman was going to have a chance to fix Route 28. And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, like I remember the next morning after that election 2017. Uh, so I got 45 minutes of sleep the night before. Like I was just utterly exhausted next morning. And I had to do like three TV spots back to back to back. And so like my face is still like flush pink and everything. I sound like I looked. <laughs> so like my voice is all crackly and stuff. And someone had asked me that question, just like, well, what does this all mean to you? I'm just like, well, it means trans women start fixing around 28 now, right? And 28's over under construction right now over in Centerville. When I was on the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority, I got to vote for that construction for that multimodal project. And we've got my plan, but I know my audience here, uh, like, long story short is we were pursuing a lot of money to fix things with innovative intersections besides my area. But what I like to say about all of this, especially for your LGBTQ audience with this is, Look, if you have people who are intentionally holding you down, who are intentionally trying to take your rights away, who are intentionally just trying to, you know, have malicious intent when they talk and look and work, you know, either with you or try to just, you know, avoid you and everything, it doesn't mean you have to be the person who's quiet. You have to be the person who's going to be like, okay, thank you. I'll come back later. No, assert yourself. You have just as many rights as anyone else, and this is your America, too, and it's time for you to run it. Why is it that in Virginia we have two out and seated trans you know, elected officials between myself and Donna Price, who's the chairwoman of the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors, and yet California has a handful when you all have a hell of a lot more people who actually live here in the first place? Go run for office. And if you need to, my uh, sisters here at Emerge California, they'll be able to take care of you. And if you come out to Virginia, Emerge Virginia, we'll take care of you too. Yeah, I want to talk to you about Emerge in a moment. But we are talking with Danica Rome. She's a member of the Virginia General Assembly, author of the new memoir, Burn the Page. 
And uh, we'd love to hear from you. What do you? Uh, what would you like to ask her? What do you make of her story of her rise in politics? The number to call eight six six seven three three sixty seven eighty six. Again, it's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. And let's start over in Alameda and Brent. Welcome. Hi. Uh, well, thank you for having this conversation. Uh, my question revolves around the fact that uh, you know I, I truly believe that. Our country works best when we have a functional uh, two-party system, which we don't have. And part of the thing that's uh, that's uh, um, basically fueling the dysfunction of the Republican Party is this outrage, their grievances. And um, you, uh, in your position, um, you know, what can you think you should be doing, and the party in general be doing to let uh, the the conservatives and republicans know that um uh that you that there's no threat to the white male supremacy uh and that our country benefits best when everybody has a seat at the table but I, and the reason i'm asking because i think you're in a very specifically position to uh take a leadership role in saying this is all nonsense um so anyways i'll take my my uh my answer off the air. Great. Thanks uh, very much, Brent. Sure. Appreciate the question. Well, thank you, Brent. Thank you for calling in. So one thing I want to point out, actually, based on what Brent was just talking about, on Election Day itself last year in 2021, when our Democrats lost a statewide, we lost our gubernatorial race, lieutenant governor, attorney general, I outran the top of the ticket and won two precincts on Election Day itself that the top of the ticket lost. And part of that, you go wait a minute, how did a trans woman, metalhead trans woman in this case, end up winning two precincts that the former governor of Virginia lost? And it was like, well, part of that was because on the one hand, I actually, my constituents know me. I show up. We have held more than 30 local town halls. I'm very present. Number two, I take their legislative ideas and I turn them into action. And all 32 of my bills that have been signed into law all of them not only had bipartisan support, but this year my nine that we passed with a Republican governor, Republican House of Delegates, mind you, passed with unanimous support in the state Senate. And so there are absolutely ways that we can show people, hey, in the Democratic Party, we're the party of good governance. And we don't have to fall into traps of utter division and trying to tell people that we're going to attack our constituents. The most egregious thing that I see on a day-to-day basis is just seeing some of this nonsense this morning of a Republican congressman attacking his own constituents, attacking people who he represents by saying like, oh, well, you must be these over-educated white women who are blah, 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 you know, just like going off, you know, because they were protesting against, you know, the, you know, basically what it came, the draft report of the Supreme Court stuff. I looked at that and I was just like, I would never talk to my constituents like that, and you shouldn't either. Not a, not a winning formula. All right, we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'd love to hear from you in our conversation for the rest of the hour with Danica Rome. As I said, she's a member of the Virginia General Assembly, the first openly trans person elected to a state legislature uh, in the U.S., although there are others now. Uh, give us a call if you'd like to talk with her. Share your own story. Maybe you're thinking of running for office yourself. Give us a ring at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Scott Schaefer here this hour for Mina Kim. Join us.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here for Mina Kim. We're talking with Danica Rome. She's a member of the Virginia General Assembly. She really upended the world of Virginia politics in 2017, becoming the first openly trans person elected to a state legislature. Her new memoir is called Burn the Page. And we'd love to talk with you and hear your thoughts about her rise in politics, what it means, and you know what it means to you personally, perhaps, or to someone in your family. Give us a ring at 866 733 6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Let's go now to uh, Santa Cruz and Ia. Welcome. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to Danica. <laughs> Sorry for being just a good human. <laughs> well, Ia, that's so sweet of you. What's on your mind today, Ia? Oh, nothing. I just I mean, we just need more good humans. I have two children, and I want them to be able to grow up in whatever world they want it to be for them without hurting other people. Mm. And I think you're really living that, and I really, really appreciate it. Mm. One, thank you so much for your kindness. It's so rare to see that. It takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Really, thank you. Well, you know, one of the things I like to say with this is, look, when we've spent, you know, my term in office, you know, my three terms in office now, and we've passed 10 of my bills to feed hungry kids, especially at a time where Mitch McConnell is trying to, you know, get rid of universal free school meals. I go, why on earth will you try to single out and stigmatize your most vulnerable constituents who are trans kids, for example, instead of wanting to feed them? And, you know, I got asked on uh, MSNBC the other day, uh, the uh, anchor said like, oh, well, you know, what do you think about Elon Musk? What do you think about this? Uh, him take, buying Twitter and everything. I was just like, I don't give a damn about Elon Musk because he could take that $44 billion that he just wasted on that and feed every child in this entire country repeatedly over for that. This is like you want to find something where you can unite and you can take care of kids. Go feed them. I'm an Italian stepmom. I want to feed everyone. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if you think there's a sort of a message or a lesson that your own children can learn from Danica's story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and every child and adult, you know, I tell my kids all the time, it's being yourself, whoever you are. And that is, that's all you can do in life. Well, you know. And um, it's really, it's really amazing to see it in, in real life. So thank you. Thank you. And as I mentioned in uh, Burn the Page in my book, uh, you know, I spent 13 years in Catholic school, and one of the things that you see on the wall uh, when I was in high school is um, a quote from St. Francis de Sales of be who you are and be that well. And I always like to say that you learn two things in Catholic school. You learn that quote, and you learn the hard way that uh, conversion therapy does not work. 
And uh, at the same time, I have a little additional thing to that quote that I like to say, which is be who you are, be that well, and thrive because of who you are, not despite it, and not for what other people tell you you're supposed to be. You be you better than anyone else ever could because you're the only one who ever can. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that and for giving us a call. Let's go now to uh, Thousand Oaks down in Southern California. Anna, welcome. Hi, yeah, I just wanted to say that I find your story incredibly inspiring because of how you're able to bridge gaps between different kinds of people, and I'm really looking forward to reading your book. My question is, um, do you see a way to reach out to Trump supporters who I think honestly feel like their rights are under threat, and I think reaching out to these people might be key to healing some of what's going on in this country? Well, the short answer to that, Anna, first first off, Anna, Anna. I'm so happy you're uh, excited to read the book. And there is an audio book version as well. So if you like the sweet, soothing sound of my voice, (laughs) please have it go through your hands for eight hours (laughs) as you go through that. Um, What what kind of conversations do you have with uh, Republican voters? Well, I mean, you mean like my mother? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so like, keep in mind, I'm like, you know, the Democratic black sheep of of the family in that regard, right? But, you know, that's this is the thing. When you grow up in a politically diverse household where, you know, like my mom, my sister, both are Republican voting. My grandfather, who died in 2008, you know, I lived with him, you know, in the house as well for 18 years. He was usually a Democratic voter until very late in his life. Obviously, you know, he was a union guy. And, you know, he, you know, worked for American Post Post Workers Union, um, you know, after he came home from World War II, for example. And so, you know, when you have a lot of that diversity, you have to just remember one very, very basic thing. Whether you agree or disagree on the issue, you don't have to be disrespectful and hateful as you're approaching it. You don't have to be that person who's just going to talk down to someone. I, as a trans woman in the South, in Virginia, I have to talk to a lot of people who disagree with me, who are going to vote against me every election. And you know what the thing is? Those same people, I put in bills for them. I put, I help them out. And you know what happens in the, in election years? They tend to not be hostile toward me. They go, you know, Janik, I'm not going to vote for you. Don't even really like you much, but you're pretty good at what you do. And I'm not going to put in a lot of money trying to unseat you either. I got other priorities. You're the least worst of them. What <laughs> <laughs> way that they'll put it. You know, I can only imagine the, the haters on social media and elsewhere, especially when you were running the first time. Oh, that hasn't stopped. Well, I was going to ask, <laughs> has that changed? And, and what about, you know, the the other members um, of the legislature there in Virginia? I oh. mean, ha, is it now where you, you know, walk no. up to somebody on, on the floor or in the hallway? And is it just like, you know, just a typical conversation? Have they sort of gotten over, you know, the uniqueness of your election? Eh, most have. But <laughs> like I wrote in the book about... One of my colleagues who came up to me as a freshman, and he asked me to step outside the Capitol for a breath of fresh air. And then he started asking me, like, well, you know, college is listening. And he started trying to save my soul up at the Capitol. like, you do know I spent 13 years in Catholic school. You're not going to say anything to me I haven't already heard yet. Mm. <laughs> so we had that conversation. What but, about on the other end, though? Like yeah. people saying, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And maybe they have yeah. a trans relative oh, yeah. or family member. Yeah, I've had Republican like legislators come up to me and talk to me about trans people in their lives. Absolutely. You know, there's there are uh, here's one of the things <laughs> a lot of politics. And this is the inauthenticity of politics that people just absolutely can't stand is you see people who are being malicious, arrogant, 
nasty and just awful and just like basically trying to get these clips because they want to matter so badly as uh, Taylor Thompson said in a joke before, which I loved. Um, I look at this and I'm just like, okay, you have these people who are just trying to get this moment and everything else. And then you talk to them one-on-one and it's like talking to any other human being. Who knew? And I look at that. I'm just like, you know, you'd be so much better of a person if you were just yourself all the time instead of having to put on this performance act. And here's the ultimate irony of this. I am telling you this as someone who was closeted for most of my life because I was afraid of how other people would judge me. And in a very strange twist of fate, I see the, you know, show ponies on the floor of the House of Delegates sometimes, and I see the, you know, show horse, you know, just, you know, theatrics and BS, and I go, oh, this is someone who's too afraid to just be themselves, and they're trying to appeal to other people based on how they think other people want them to be instead of who they are. And you know what? what's so funny at age 37 as a trans woman who's now, you know, 10 years since I started therapy, nine years since I started HRT, I get to be myself every day in front of every person I speak to. And whereas so many of the people in my life who aren't are try- still trying to figure out who they should be in front of other people instead of just being themselves. Let's uh, read some listener comments here. Uh, Danica is amazing, writes one listener. As an out queer person once interested in politics before lobbyists became the main players, she inspires me to get back into it. Also, thanks for helping out the vulnerable. That's what public service is for. Uh, and then Noel tweets, tell us about yoga. Uh, has yeah. it helped your uh, in your current life? <laughs> Absolutely it has. So, uh, you know, I got uh, laid off from one of my jobs in D.C. It was a round of mass layoffs. I got uh, laid off on a Friday, and I started my yoga practice on a Monday <laughs> right afterward, and I fell in love with it. And, you know, this was in 2013, so this is a f- still a few months before I started HRT, but I was well underway of my like mental transition at that point, you know, like trying to, you know, reintroduce myself to society more or less. And the yoga studio was the first place outside of LGBTQ clubs and oddly enough, like industrial metal shows um, (laughs) where like people wearing makeup and stuff, very common. Uh, Whereas like I could just present as feminine and it's a room of almost entirely women. And they were just like, hi, welcome. What's your name? Uh, Tanika. Well, Nice to see you, Danica. Well, oh, in fact, you kind breathe. of tried to merge those things, didn't you? I think yeah. you opened a, a mobile yoga studio that played heavy metal. Yeah, absolutely. How'd that go over? <laughs> uh, so I was, uh, oh, when it started, where like classes sold out like immediately, which is really cool. But um, doing that while also having two full-time jobs, just getting into a relationship and everything else, like it lasted for like half a year or so. But, oh, it was called Darkest Yoga. I loved doing it. And I want to at some point, once my life settles down a bit, because I got three jobs right now <laughs> as a legislator, executive director of Emerge Virginia, and author. Uh, once that settles down a little bit, maybe in 2024, after the next election, 23, I think I'd like to pursue, like, really getting back into the studio full time and then, like, pursuing a yoga teacher training program um, so that I could actually safely and confidently teach classes. And what I would love to do is bring yoga to basically for underadvantaged youth, especially, and just have free classes for them and, yeah, maybe have a heavy metal soundtrack to it as we do it. Let's see if we can get another caller in here. Tate in San Francisco. Welcome. You're on with Danica. Uh, yes, uh, Assemblywoman uh, Rome's. I'm just, just as the other caller was, so grateful to you um, as a citizen in this country and 
your willingness to, um, you know, to be brave for all of us and to stand for all rights and to get stuff to Highway 28. And I'm a psychiatrist. I treat a lot of politicians or have. And I just want to say that you are a political animal, which is a someone born who's innately, innately talented. You do seem to be this. taking to and it rather nicely. <laughs> yes, I think that I look forward to seeing you in higher office. Thank you. Well, All right. Thank thanks you, so Tate. much That's for the call, Tate. Uh, any, I know you're running for re-election. Well, I am going to be running again for the Virginia General Assembly. There are two chambers of the General Assembly, so tune in next week to find out which one. Uh, okay, that sounds like uh, maybe you're going for a higher for, office. Who Perhaps. Knows, who knows who's to say what's going to happen? Is there, there's week. an open seat. <laughs> um, so we just had redistricting, and basically, right now, there is still a pending court case um, in federal court where the House of Delegates members. Basically, the argument is that we ran on unconstitutional lines last time because, you know, redistricting wasn't done yet. And so we should have to run for special elections for one year this year in order to get into 2023 and have regular scheduled elections next year. We don't know what's going to happen in that case. So if that is decided, I would run for re-election to the House of Delegates this year in 2022. And then when we have our full elections up in 2023, that's when I would then run for the next campaign. So, uh, again, stay tuned for next week. So you're, you're liking what you're doing, obviously, and it sounds like you're pretty good well, at it. Well, it's not just that I like what I'm doing I'm pretty good at. It's my constituents like what I'm doing. My constituents think I'm pretty good at it. And my constituents are, you know, like the only promise I ever made before I you know, got into office was I was going to vote my conscience and my district's my conscience. And it's Haymarket, Gainesville, Manassas, Manassas Park. Present. What's up, Western Prince William? <laughs> you're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in Fermina Kim. And we're talking with Danica Rome, who's a member of the Virginia General Assembly, author of the new memoir, Burn the Page. And if you'd like to join us, give us a ring, 866-733-6786. We've got some comments from social media. Michael tweets, someone who came from nowhere beat a long-term incumbent and gets bills passed being trans might be the least remarkable part of Danica's story. I'm sure that's music to your ears. (laughs) Um, Well, in a way, sure. On the (laughs) other way, here's the cool thing. When I was sworn in, I was the only out-and-seed trans state legislator in the country. And then we went to four after that, and now we have eight, including the first out-and-seed trans state senator over in Delaware, my friend Sarah McBride. So, um, yeah, we're not going back to zero. No. Another listener uh, writes, Danica Rome is amazing. What a breath of fresh air. If only more politicians would take a page out of her book. And, and then, it's called Burn the Page, <laughs> which you can get now online. Keep or plugging. in your local independent bookstores, which I was just at last night over at Book Passage in, here in San Francisco. And then Bill writes, and I was wondering about this as well, did the homophobe in cheap Bob Marshall, did he concede? And if so, what did he say? <laughs> uh, he, I... Only one of the three Republicans I've uh, actually <laughs> defeated in the elections have actually called me. Um, and the thing is, I know all three of them have my cell phone number and know exactly one of them called. It was my 2019 campaign. It's the only woman of the three. So, you know, no surprise there. And, yeah, no, no. Uh, the concession speech was just like a thing on Facebook and then have a nice day. And that was it. But at the same time. You know, like I said, you know, the night of the election, I was on um, MSNBC and Lawrence O'Donnell was kind of setting me up to, you know, attack my now predecessor. And I said, come January 10th, um, Delegate Marshall is going to be one of my constituents. I want to attack my constituents. And this is still how I feel to this day. You know, so it's just like, no. When they go low, we go high. Well, there's that Michelle Obama quote, or it's just when they go low, we unseat them and we win our next election. (laughs) That too. Yeah. 
You mentioned Emerge, uh, which is a national organization that yeah. uh, helps to train and recruit women to run for office. And you're the, the chair, the executive director of Emerge Virginia. How do you go about finding candidates? What's your pitch? Oh, yeah. So just two days ago, I was down in Blacksburg in southwest Virginia. I drove four hours down there. I was taking, you know, interviews like the whole way and phone calls and everything else. And when I got down there, it was a group of about 20 uh, women who were there. And I was just telling them about, hey, look, you've got all these local offices that are going to be up next year, some that are on the ballot this year. Help me find candidates, these Democratic women who we can train and recruit. And the whole reason for this is Emerge exists to train Democratic women so that we know what we are getting ourselves into in a campaign and how to effectively communicate, how to effectively execute all of the fundamentals that go into a campaign. It's not to change someone in terms of their values, their beliefs, or any of that. It's to help them refine it and so that the way that they present, the way that they pitch is a way that it's authentic to them and it's a way that they get their their message heard and communicated well and then they end up winning. And Emerge Women, we do very well. I went through Emerge in 2017 and of our 15 House of Delegates candidates who flipped seats red to blue that fall. 11 that, that's of an us extraordinary were, number. Yes, right 11 there. of us were women, and nine of us went through Emerge, and including like seven, uh, or it was like myself and seven other people I trained, I trained with, and along with um, then Delegate Holly Yala, she had uh, gone through Emerge a little earlier. And so, yeah, here in California, you all have Emerge California too. And by the way, side note to that, Lindsay Bubar from um, Emerge uh, California was also one of the, she was kind of my taskmaster for my book as well. So oh, she's good. also in the credits. I want to ask you, there, of course, has been a spate of anti-trans legislation, anti-LGBT as well mm-hmm. uh, in Texas uh, where they you know, wanted to go after families uh, that. Uh, oh, hell, they tried in Virginia too. And yeah. I'm wondering, you know, just yesterday here in California, there was, and across the country and other states, I think 18 states total, they introduced a plan to introduce bills, um, you know, that have modeled modeled after those uh, that that provide to provide legal protection. I'm sorry for out-of-state families. In other words, make California and some of these other states kind of a refuge for LGBTQ trans kids in particular. I'm wondering what you think about that, as opposed to working in the states where the problem exists in terms well, of this anti-trans so legislation. Two things with this. Number one, this means the federal government is not doing its job. If some American citizens right now and people who just call America home are having to worry about where they can have health care, where they can exist safely, and they have to go one state to another, that means that the system is fundamentally broken and a federal government exists so its citizens have equal protection under the law regardless of which state they live in. That's constitutional. That's the Bill of Rights. And the fact of the matter that you have to do this, that says that something is going horribly awry that needs to be fixed at the federal level as well as in the states. Well, Danica Rome, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank Good you, luck sir. with the book and with your reelection and perhaps higher office in we'll Virginia. See. We'll find out soon. It's called Burn the Page, A True Story of Torching Doubts, Blazing Trails, and Igniting Change. Danica Rome, again, thank you so much. Scott Schaefer here this hour for Mina Kim. Tomorrow it's Marisa Lagos. She'll be here talking uh, more about the repercussions from that leaked Supreme Court draft opinion on Roe v. Wade. Join us for that as well. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.